You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Hello. Yay. Yay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. And, you know, we've been doing this for over a year and we've had more technical issues recently. Like the technical stuff is getting harder. I don't understand. I did. I mean, as, as we were saying before we were recording, I think it's Mercury retrograde, but you gave me a disbelieving I didn't. I didn't. I just. Your ridiculous face. Well, it's funny because it's, you know, it's, it's, because there are definitely times when I'm just like, okay, all of the technology has decided that it's not working today. And it's like, how did the fridge? And then it's like, no, it's about me. But why is the fridge and my phone not working at the same time? But then you try to figure out what is going on with me. It's weird. But so you universe makes sense, but Mercury retrograde does not. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Your fridge is sensing your vibe, and that's scientific. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. No, well, Uh, welcome to Paropod. Paropod, and today we are discussing cards on the table. Cards on the table from 1936. And by the way, I hope I do not have boob static today. I mean, luckily I don't have boobs, but I do have I, my normal uh, Britney Spears headset, like Janet Jackson style headset is out of battery again. Not Maybe it was Mercury. Maybe it was just that I didn't charge it. It doesn't have any charge. So I'm using my like, you know, going for a walk headphones. Um, and so I'm holding them in an attempt to keep from static happening. We'll see what happens. Speaking of boob static, so the almost two-year-olds have discovered that I have breasts. They think it's hilarious. They will lift up my shirt or pull down my shirt and point at them, count them, and then, you know. How did that happen? They just noticed one day, and they're like, what is that? And I was like, mommy has breasts. And they're like, poked both of them and I'm like one two and now they do it all the time and (laughs) they'll look down the shirt they'll look up the shirt like to pull up the shirt to see if you could get look at them you could find them both ways um and uh yeah sometimes it's hilarious sometimes they'll look at their own chest sometimes they'll look at the daddy's chest um but uh yeah so you know and it doesn't feel that long ago that they were breastfeeding, but they have forgotten. They have forgotten, so they're just like, something's on mom. (laughs) So, yeah. That's funny. Anyway, so yeah, boobs, they're like, whoa. And and then I was was calling them by their names, breasts, and then Annika didn't want to put on a diaper because she was looking to see if I had them again. And Chris says, 
oh, did you just want to look at some boobs? And Annika's like, what? And I'm like, it's another word for breasts. Now it's confusing. Now they have more than one name. It's the whole thing. <laughs> oh, boy. So today's book. Yeah, today's yeah. book is not about boobs. <laughs> it's about so it transitions. Um, <laughs> but today's book is a very simple story because basically it is a murder in a bottle it is definitely a murder in a bottle um and and it's not even a bottle with like multiple rooms or lots of you know it's basically this dude who from the description is so salvador dali um like i learned a new word miss missed of the the devil word in that book miss they use it as a noun to refer to the character and then as an adjective in a separate scene and I was like new vocabulary word for the week and then now because of our mercury situations I don't know if I can find the word Mef, mess, m- and then it was it was a M-E-P-H Mef- Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles there you go Mephistopheles the- Mephistophelian yeah which is devil in the Faust story you know the make a deal with the devil yeah so he's type devil so he so he's got fancy mustaches and makes his eyebrows all wax his his eyebrows and his mustaches all wax to a weird point and likes to do basically theatrical performance art kind of stuff and the i didn't know who dolly was when i read the book back when i was in high school but now i do and i kind of have a picture of him in my head and so when I read it this time, I was like, oh my gosh. That's I hadn't Dali. thought of Salvador Dali when you wrote that. But once you wrote that, I was like, oh my gosh, totally. And then looking him up to remind myself. And I was like, yeah, I feel like that's what he was going for. Knowing that, that Mesophosal, did I, wait, say it again. Mephistopheles. There you go. I'm not going to be able to say that. Um, but it seemed that's what Salvador Dali was going for. Yeah. And and he was at this height of his fame in the mid thirties. So um, he was hang. I mean, so that and- was a kind of a look. Yeah, and so she might have specifically based it on him. You know, like uh, since we know that she based another victim on another person that she knew in real life, the way that she described this guy, I was like, I'm wondering if she just based it on Dali. Do you think more a- and like also more than just? uh his looks but also on character um maybe well i don't know because what i know about his character i learned from watching um um midnight in paris or what was the it's a woody allen film and i feel bad because i've seen it so i should not ever support him but it was a while ago when that movie came out um so but i now i feel bad for giving him money but anyway um uh, it's the one where Owen Wilson goes back in time to the 30s to Paris. And okay, yeah, in- I vaguely know that one. But he runs into Dolly, who was played by Adrian. Um... Oh, God, I'm doing terrible. I can't think of anybody now. Um, Adrian Brody uh, played Salvador Dolly, and his character was hilarious. Um, but very theatrical both with his eyebrows and his 
mustache and his like i'm gonna make art dali kind of thing yeah so i have no idea if that movie was accurate as to dali's actual character but um so maybe but you know she was in europe in the 30s he was in europe in the 30s so granted he was in paris and he was a spanish dude um and she was in england but I'm assuming that they, she knew, like they must have known about him because he was such a public character. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was just my theory that it was the victim was based on that. I don't know if that means that she wanted to kill him or, <laughs> or thought he was a terrible person because the only thing that everyone in the book agreed on was that he was the worst. Yeah, because basically what he did was he invited four detectives to his house for a party invited them at 8 p.m and then at 8 15 p.m he invited four other people which he invited and we know this throughout this we find it out not right away but he invited them because all four of them had killed someone right so he invited four detectives and four murderers um and uh so that is a game that made all of the murderers super nervous because they're like, what is he going to do? Is he just going to, like, toy with my emotions? And he made sure to say some comment. Oh, yeah. Like, in the small talk about, like, you know, poisonings happened. Or sometimes there's an accidental shooting or whatever. So he definitely dropped in casual conversation about right. kind of reference the death that each of them had been a part of. And so that to definitely put them on their guard. Right. So it was, yeah. And then... So the the entire story is that they have a, a nice meal and then they go and play bridge. Um, each of the, the four detectives play each other and the four murderers play each other. Why they divided up that way, you know, like they could have, but um, they could have mixed them up. And I was trying to see, did he do that on purpose? It seemed like he did that on purpose. Oh yeah, I'm sure he did. But then but... he sat in the room with the murderer card table. Right. And then sort of dozed off in front of the and fire one and of them then, killed him. and then yeah one of them walked over during the card game and stabbed him right like that's the question is like what if not killing him how did he expect that night to go if he was over there like just being like a lame duck right if he was just what was he expecting to happen like him sitting in the room right what did he and think the- murderers are in there and the sleuths are not in there right what did he to happen that's what i couldn't figure out right yeah i mean Poirot calls him stupid because of you know because he said that it was stupid of him to do it um because uh, Poirot was the only one who knew that was the setup because um they had run into each other actually that first scene is great because they basically describe that Poirot has an emotion that he never feels when he runs into this guy, Shaitana, um, was his name, uh, because he's got amazing mustaches. And so he's... I like that you use the plural like the book does. Mustaches. Mustaches. (laughs) Um, But that he's like jealous or envious or feels... At least least he thinks they're as good as his, if not better. Right. He feels challenged by the dude's mustache. Right. And and so um, 
Yeah, it's funny because they describe this first scene where they're kind of just staring at each other like, no, mine are better. And then <laughs> and then they have a conversation where, you know, uh, he says, because the dude is rich um, and collects things and had donated snuff boxes to the whatever they were at was a display of snuff boxes. Exhibition. Yeah. And Does so that mean what I think it means. Uh yeah, I think so, but like way back in the day, like yeah. But like that could be art. Like Yeah, yeah, because rich people had yeah. Paid for but expensive it's like, you know it's hard right now to imagine like drug par- paraphernalia being highbrow. Art. Yeah, art. Or not that it would be art, but that it would be underground art that, like, only hipsters could appreciate as art because the upper class think that that's, you know, to be frowned upon. Well, I could could see that with bongs. Like, I guess people would be like, I, I, you know, I bongs. Like, Like, I could see, like, the fancy people of a city going to see a collection of bongs. I see, like, you know what I mean? Like, to me, that doesn't. So, like, the fact that, like, snuff boxes would be, like, drug paraphernalia, but, like, fancy. It's just hard. But I think it was like you know from the Victorian age, so it was like drug paraphernalia that's a hundred years old. Suddenly, it's fancy. Oh, okay. Okay. So, yeah, I suppose Victorian era to the thirties isn't a hundred years, but you know, like it would have been maybe a hundred years, or you know, like it would have been if yeah. Well, and I don't think like even from the things we've read, like. Maybe there wasn't the shame around. Maybe maybe they were pre Nancy Reagan, so there could still be right. drugs and elitism in the same room. Yeah, totally, totally. Because it's yeah. not like now like, people of wealth don't do cocaine, but it's not something that's like necessarily celebrated publicly. Right. right. Like I I paid an artist to make a fancy box, and then I could show them off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. But yeah. Um. All right, don't panic. I'm getting another glass of wine. Why is why am I getting it so early in this? Because it took um, us an hour <laughs> to get online. Yeah, so Portia doesn't believe in Mercury retrograde, but it took us an hour <laughs> between relationship conversations, uh, hardware issues, software issues. Yeah, it, yeah. So you know, so it took us an hour to get started. So I'm having my second glass, and we're only 14 minutes into control into recording. But... <laughs> okay, but so it, the the whole point is, Praro runs into this guy, and like even Praro is like, Shaitana, I don't like him, but he's interesting. He throws good parties, and so during their conversation. Shaitana tells Praro that he's like, I have a collection. And he's like, of what? You know, fancy fans? And he's like, no, I like I like to collect criminal things. He's like, oh, you mean like artifacts from like murders or something? He's like, no, nothing is lowbrow as that. He basically is like, the ones who get caught aren't the best ones. I collect people who have gotten away with it. And so he basically, during that conversation says, oh my god, I can't believe I never thought about this before. I want to have a dinner party of people who have gotten away with murder. And, and they set a place and a time. It was like 8 o'clock, my house, whatever. The he does that is the thing that people do when you can't turn it down because he's like, tell me what day you're free. Yeah, yeah. Which is the worst because like, instead of being like, it's Thursday, and you can be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I have plans. 
He's yeah, like, they are free. So Paro couldn't say no. So Paro gets there and he doesn't know this is the setup, but we quickly find out that he walks in and then we meet Colonel Race, who is from the man in the brown suit. Yep. Right. September. Yep. September battle. Yeah. I wrote him down on the bottom of the, of our, but we, but but right. What are you saying? September battle. Uh, so, uh, Oh, okay. No, no, but I'm saying like previous book. So Colonel Race we met was like the Secret Service guy from Man in the Broad Soon, right? And and then yeah, and then Battle was from Chimneys and the Seven Dials mystery. Right, Superintendent Battle of Chimneys and Seven Dials. And then and- Mrs. Oliver, who'd only been in one short story by this point, a Parker Pine short story. She shows right. up later. We met her in Parker Pine very briefly as a as a, as a as a writer, and we like. In that book, there's enough nods to her being a mystery writer that you think she's a stand-in for Agatha Christie, but, you know, it wasn't real obvious. Right. But, but in now, it goes above and beyond to make sure you know this is her. Right. Because as the people walk in, someone says to Praro, is that Ariadne Oliver? Which, by the way, looking at the... Because having done the audiobook and looking at about how it's spelled... Yeah, Ariadne. Yeah. Because they say, yeah, Ariadne. And uh, I kept, when I, when I read it, I think Adrian, because it looks like Adrian to me. But yeah, yeah, like hearing it said, I thought it was a pretty name. I would name a person that. Seeing it written, it looks like the kind of thing that a child would hate you for, because it'd be mispronounced forever. Yeah. I see Ariadne, or, you know, it's just bad. Anyways. Right, right. So, like, so when someone walks in, it's like, is that, you know, is that Mrs. Oliver? the 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 one who wrote the body in the library like they went very far but in body the, in the library uh agatha hasn't released body in the library yet that doesn't come out oh, till 42 okay so, but so that's not exactly to tell right but she maybe got yeah so yeah that's, isn't that interesting so oh, she came okay. in so with I a name as a fake book a real hard nod to the audience Right, that she's but made... it wasn't she hadn't released that yet. But she did talk about that she made her detective a Finnish dude and now regrets it because they read a lot of mystery novels <laughs> in Finland and it's she annoying goes, as heck. She says that she keeps going about how she made him a Finn and how in Finland they must read a lot of mysteries because they're always correcting her on how like Finnish people would never do this and that. And they make these jokes about how she's always eating apples. And like wherever she goes, there's like apple cores falling everywhere. I also and love she's so big and she can't get out of her own car because she's like she trapped also... in her sports car. I also love how she apparently changes her fashion all the time. So they talk mm-hmm. about how she has her hair in a certain way and she tries to brush it back, but she can't because it's a fringe and it's down and it like must have been like hairspray down. And so yeah. she tries to brush it back, but she can't. So yeah, um, but then she's the whole always thing. yeah, she's always changing fashion, and she regularly has bits of apple like they're having. And she was like, "Dress like this," and then she, there's a little bit of apple core on her bow. <laughs> but and then, it's not a comedy, but the writing about Ms. Oliver is a comedy, and so it's funny because it's literally just like self shots like she's just taking shots at herself like 
like it is hilarious the way it's written but it's also like ouch because it's clearly like meant to be her she also like makes oliver mrs oliver of the four detectives the worst detective okay 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 but in rereading she's not so here's the thing that i figured out and like i don't know what we're gonna do with spoilers but like let's just go there because so she's painted as a ridiculous feminist who's always like, men are the worst. And if a woman was the head of Scotland Yard, we would have had blah, blah, blah. I would just go ahead and, and so basically, and she's got this thing about woman's intuition. Mm-hmm. When she is has a moment to like think about who did the crime before they have any information, she says the doctor or the girl. Actually, she says the doctor first. The doctor, and then after they kind of like do all the interviews she says the doctor or the girl and she's right because the doctor did it and the girl's also a killer right well they're all yeah but yeah but the major was like whatever according to the book a justified killing right and the and the woman was not you know whatever happened with her and her husband we got no details yeah we got no details, but she wasn't a serial killer and she was like, you know what I mean? Like, so I feel like in the in although they painted her as ridiculous, when you go back to her initial gut reaction, she was right. Because That's true. she said the doctor or the girl, and she first said the doctor strongly, and she was right. And then she said, Okay, the doctor or the girl. And the girl, I'm using that term broadly, um uh also did end up killing her friend then. Yeah. Or trying yeah. To kill her friend. So yeah, it's like so we- I feel like she sort of her intuition on the and then she kind of floated all over the place on her guesses, but she wasn't like her initial gut instinct was correct. So it did back up her intuition thing, even though they also paint her as kind of ridiculous. So that in her defense. Right. Yeah, yeah. So But it's sort true. of a comedy only when she comes up. It's true, yeah. But we should probably paint the picture of the four murderers. Okay, okay. so paint so, so yeah, so at this bridge party, which we, I tried to understand bridge because understanding bridge is kind of part of the plot. Because, of course, that's the only thing that happens during the murder itself is four people are playing bridge. And so there's a whole thing about they have copy of one of their score sheets from each of the people and they talk about the different rubbers that people were playing and hands and games within the rubbers and who was dummy and what and then like how they took sky score mattered and also when they were involved in a grand slam and the bids so i watched oh, a YouTube. yeah i, I read this YouTube. and then i had looked up because i was like okay i know sort of how to play spades this is probably somewhat like spades and like, I'm very bad at spades. <laughs> and so I've retired from spades cause I want to keep my friends. And so when people play spades, I just say, I'll watch because I'm okay. not good at spades and people get competitive. Right. Right. And so when I looked up like spades and bridge to see like, okay, can I understand these bigger rules? They're like, Oh, bridge is way harder. And I was like, well, then I'm just <laughs> like, kind of like chest of checkers. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not good at checkers. So Right. This isn't happening. And when, like, even in that YouTube that you sent, the terminology they were using, I had to like look up the terms they were using as like baseline right. vocab. 
crap on that YouTube. And I was like, okay, I don't have the mental. <laughs> no. And yeah, the, the YouTube, cause I started, I was like, oh, it's a YouTube thing. And it's only like 15 minutes long. I'll be able to understand it. And then he's like, okay, so it's this and it's the rubbers. And then you do this and they bid. And then after you bid, you play. And I'm like, wait, you weren't playing when you're bidding. And then you do. And so, and then I'll get into that later and how you score Oh my God, it has the most complicated scoring system I've ever seen of like, it's 30 points if this, but if you use the Trump suit, it's this, but if you use, if there's a no Trump, it's this, like. I uh, like to feel smart and I like <laughs> to do things that make me reinforce my self-concept of a, being a smart person. And I didn't like any of this. Right. Because right. I was like, huh? What? <laughs> it's so Wait, what? And I didn't understand the baseline vocabulary from the YouTube, which even though I'd read it in the book, I still didn't get it. Like, it's clearly like, it's a whole thing to learn. It's a whole thing. But apparently in the 30s in London, this is what everybody does. They have a dinner and then they play bridge. They don't hang out, listen to music. They don't like, because everybody at the party was like, oh, okay. I'll play bridge after and then apparently the woman of the of the four suspects this is what she does like she apparently makes a decent living from it she's so good everybody kept right. talking about how she's a great player but even the four detectives like everybody was like oh we'll have drinks we'll have dinner and we'll play bridge for two hours they right and then at midnight. you know we we haven't commented on this but like in all of these books all along because they have tea at like five and so dinner is late and so when these people are going to bed when they're leaving the party at 12 12 15 they're apologizing because it's so early i'm so sorry i go to bed early i was like these people party late because and we forget that as americans our society is based on a puritanical rebellion from that culture right because we right. tend to think of like that we're descendants of them but we're descendants of and not us really because we're more recent immigrants, but you know what I mean? Our culture is right. descended from the puritanical rebellions from there because like we right. think supper at six, go to bed at eight in old timey times. But no, these people have dinner at 10 and then like party till two, 3 a.m. And that's like, and these people like this way, like, Prowro was apologizing for leaving at 12, 15 when he's 60. Cause they, right, because they played like three or four rubbers. And yeah, it was 10 minutes. And they 12. established to us, because, you know, Poirot's age floats around, but and they established in this book, he's 60 ish. Yeah. And, and they, it's, and it's almost rude to leave at 1215 right, at 60 years he, old. So right, I mean, just like culturally, that's just so different, even than from like, now we think we're like living in lawless, godless times. Right. Right. right, right. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Well, and and this has not, been in previous books too, but we haven't talked about it. Right. They just party it, late. They do. And Amanda and I found this out when we thought we knew how to party. And then we went to a Norwegian wedding about 15 years ago. 15? Yeah, about that. 12. It was probably 12. around, yeah, 2008, 2000. Yeah, probably 2008, 2007 yeah, or 8. Not yeah. 9. Not 9? Okay. It, yeah. Because I got <clears throat> married to the one person in 9. So, it, and we weren't engaged yet. So, oh, okay. Um, Anyway, uh, so we thought we knew how to party. And then we went to this Norwegian wedding and 
we I the story I tell is when my sister went to bed about two a.m. The grandmas were like, "Is she okay? What's wrong?" <laughs> okay, and it was no, it was like four. It was like four, and yeah, everyone else was like, "Yeah, we're still up." And I granted, it's summer in Norway when the sun just like takes like just blinks, right at the middle of the night. But like the old people were like, um, "Is your sister okay? Is everything all right?" And I was like, "No, she just can't hang. I can't even really hang. Like I was like." But yeah, engaging in a next- lot of foolishness to try to hang, and I was like smoking cigars and <laughs> doing shots of aquavit, which both are disgusting behaviors. Yeah, and then the next morning, there was like a post wedding. Let's go out on a boat on the fjord and have champagne and swim in the fjord. And because I went to bed quote early at whatever it was between two and four, I made it, but you didn't because. You went I had the six. worst hangover of my life. Refer back to said Aquavit and cigars. <laughs> the man yeah. neither drinks hard alcohol nor smokes cigars, and I could not handle any of that. Oh my god, yeah. So let's just say <laughs> I was that... just like death. How yeah, do you so... say death in Norwegian? <laughs> How do I say yeah. dying of dying of hangover in Norwegian? <laughs> But yeah, we Americans are like we party, and then we went to Europe and we're like, yeah, we don't. We really yeah, and again, really. again, I was thinking that was a Scandinavian thing, but like reading this book, these this book and previous books to it, when we're talking about like the, you know, teens, twenties, and thirties, nineteen hundred, and I'm like, okay, a sixty year old, these like these old retired superintendent has to apologize for leaving after midnight because he seems like a fuddy duddy, right? And I'm like. And- well, also that is not the culture that we have here. They had drinks. Oh, yeah, because they met. They started at 8, right? Remember, they invited the sleuths at 8. Right. And the murderers at 8.15. So they had drinks. Then they had dinner. Then they had bridge. And then it was midnight, and they discovered his dead body. But they all, And he had been dead for an hour. Right, but the they were all dead. still playing, and it was only because Poirot and Battle were old. And they the were like, Battle's retired, and Poirot is perpetually old right and so it was so, like they were leaving on the early side and so they were going to go say good night to their host and then they were like oh he's been dead for an hour right and but mrs thinking, mrs lordimer who is also an old lady was still playing right because she's in her 60s that's right and um yeah because she apparently anyways i was just like i just learned but and the other thing that we haven't commented on is like but we've heard in previous books is how at a dinner party it's very important that there's an even number of sexes of the sexes. And I'm using that in like, as they use it, not, you know, to erase, erase anybody's non-binary identity, but this is the way they use it. And so they, they have to have a even number of men and women at dinner parties. And it's sort of rude if you don't have that. And so like a host will apologize if there's one more of one to the other, the thing. Right. Which of course is with, both Shaitana and Poirot, I could see them filling a non-typical right. gender role if we were, you know, because of course, if some of the men at the party were like, I'm in the army, man. And I shoot tiger. Yeah. No, but and- it's just interesting 
that the social construct was that you have at a dinner party you must have an equal number of the sexes because that's been a plot point in other ones where they invited invited the person invited the secretary because they needed another woman right and and of course it's not like they're trying to couple everybody off it's just like a literal convention that it's weird if you don't not even about yeah not about dating or anything just like it's it's awkward if you don't have that for some reason yeah you see it like every other yeah, so we've kind of talked around the four murderer people, um, and we already said who did it. So, um, well, they forgot. So just just keep going. They won't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the four people that we know from the beginning are supposed to have killed somebody are Mrs. Lormer, Lormer, who's in her sixties, um, so well off, seemed to be woman. Loves playing bridge. Apparently, she said she's a bridge fiend and doesn't even go, like to go out to parties if there's not going to be bridge. She, um, so that's her. Uh, she's a respectable older lady type. Yeah. Then there's Major Despard. I'm getting who, like uh, Connie, our next door neighbor, your ballet teacher. Yes. Yes, I can see that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Respectable older lady type. Yeah. None of the older ladies that are related to us. <laughs> no, because they all have a either true relation to counterculture or lack of funds or, not, or a, a wish for that. Or they're not respectable. Um, well, yeah, yeah that's but what I mean. I think they like either a wearing respectable lack of respectability on purpose or a true lack of respectability <laughs> right right well like connie embodied that like right those in there doing things right yeah she knew how to do it. like june yeah yeah but yeah i like connie as a stand-in for mrs Lorma. um and then um so then there's major despard who's like a lot of the characters in her books are people who are have gotten some rank in the army and clearly were colonizers and colonizers, but shot and shot tigers kind of thing. Like they travel through Africa mostly. Sometimes they talk about these people being also South America. India. Also South she America, mentioned India. South America with, with him because of the incident with him happened in South America. Yeah. So he's basically a colonizer and they have a yeah, certain amount. Basically. Yeah. She, she, in many of her books, she's got this adventurer man, Who's like super manly man? I shoot game and do. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's as she as it's painted in these books. It's a very hyper masculine, but we but we res- the book respects them and admires them. Right, and they're not necessarily. You're not sure why they're shooting game or what how they make money. Yeah, and they're not. I mean. There is a toxicity because I was thinking about are they hyper masculine without being toxic masculine? And I think they're not toxic masculine in the way that we think about toxic masculine, where they're constantly trying to prove how manly they are. Matter of fact, most of them are quiet. They're not painted this- as toxic towards women, they're painted as toxic towards men, towards animals and indigenous cultures. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but not towards women. Yeah, 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 you're right. And not toxic towards animals or indigenous cultures in a way that the book cares about. 
but right. just from a current lens, you're like, huh, wonder how that tiger felt about that. Or wonder right. how right. those yeah. air quotes guides felt about you coming into their country and doing those things. But right, like right. in the, you're right in the context of the book, there are, I, I'm seeing hyper-masculine in terms of like, you know, walking through the, I don't know. I was going to say fjord, but that's the wrong landscape. <laughs> jungle. <laughs> jungle. Through the jungle or the desert with their shotgun. Right. To a Land Rover, although it's too soon for Land Rovers, but like that kind of an image. Right. But they right. are actually true gentlemen as it comes to women and also like have a real sense of ethics. Right. Because there's this, she really thinks that those people who've gone through that kind of, I don't know if it's military training or whatever, seem to have. But they also, she, whenever she describes these guys, they're usually quiet and less gossipy. Yeah. They're and quiet. And I, I think she admires the worldliness of having been in these different places and seeing the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And so I they're so full of shit than the regular British guy. She, and, she definitely yeah. admires them. Yeah. And they're less having to prove themselves to her. Yeah, yeah, the way she writes them. So then there's right. Dr. They have like a quiet assurance, as mom would yeah. say. <laughs> and um, then the next character is Doctor Roberts, and I always will wonder if the Beatles song Doctor Roberts was named after this guy. There's a um, Beatles song named Doctor Roberts. Yeah, it's on the. Is it Revolver? And it's actually kind of interesting because the Beatles albums that I memorized because they were the ones that were in our parents' collection when I went through my Beatles phase in high school, it was a song that was cut from the American LP. Um, Wait, our parents had the British version? They were cool enough for that? No, no, no. No, we had the American version because they bought it in America. And um, so it was cut from the American version because the there's some kind of rule about American LPs couldn't be that long. And so um, anyway, so I was listening to the Beatles in college, in freshman year in college, with somebody's CD. You know, it was somebody's, uh, like, CD of this, was it Revolver? Now I'm going to have to look it up. But anyway, um, uh, I was listening to it, and I had every song memorized because I had gone through my Beatles phase in high school. And then the song, Dr. Roberts, comes on, and I'm like, I've never heard this song before. And my friend is like, oh, you haven't? Well, that's because, but I've heard it for years because I've been listening to the CD. And I'm thinking, well, I was listening to the actual records from the 60s that my parents had. But um, And you guys dick measured in the weirdest way ever for <laughs> people in the 90s <laughs> to be dick measuring about a band from the 60s. Yeah, I was listening yeah. on the original vinyl. Well, I was listening to the original uh, British album. So, like, who wins that? I feel like that's like definitely that's a Spider Man. You guys are like Spider Manning at each other. Like, <laughs> I know, right? That was it. You're right. So it was from Revolver. I was right about the album. Um, but uh, and it's yeah. So it's a. Uh, Anyway, so I'll wonder because this book came out in 36 and the Beatles were born in the 50s, but how... Wait, or born this, in the 40s. Murderer? 
Um, what's making you think it's about this character? I guess just because it's the same name. Um, yeah, the lyrics um, are more that he seems like a drug dealer. Um, in the in the in the lyrics for Doctor Robert, so um, so maybe I'm just saying, hey, it's the same name, and it's this, and it's a British thing, so it's got to be the same. They've got to get it. <laughs> but they were born after this book came out, right? So, anyway, I who knows? I was just curious. I mean, it's fun. It's fun, and it's fun how many British things you know about. So that's fun too. You're super smart in your Britishy stuff. Except for, of course, Bridge. Except for Bridge. Yeah. yeah, John Lennon was born four years after this book came out. So, you know, who knows? Right. To anyone listening who happens to know about Bridge or has enough time in, in you know, the current era to learn Bridge, it would make the book, I think, twice as delightful if you understood Bridge. Right. It's a good mystery as it is, but if you understood Bridge, you'd be like, "Oh my god, that totally is true." Because like yeah, all the things said about no trumpers and rivers and all those things, I'm just like, "You're saying words about a game," and I can like. like apparently, the Grand Slam was very important. You know, and what the hell is a Grand Slam that's doubled? You know, like that was a grand really no no trumper was like those were very things that were like key to when the crime could happen, right? And it was bid in not his suit but her suit, so she had to play, and he was the dummy on purpose. Right, he was able to bid in a way that made him be able to not play. This is what right. I understood as a not player. He did a thing that took the play away from his own self. Mm-hmm. So that he could go on a walk around the room and kill the host, right? So, yeah. So but, back to but, but the Beatles and, notwithstanding, Doctor Robert is it, a very charming, funny, gregarious, kind of flippant kind of a guy. Yeah, he's unmarried. I caught, thought it was kind of interesting that all four of the people of the murderers were unmarried. They were, uh, and all four of the detectives, if they did not talk about their relationships. I remember that Battle talked about that he had a wife in Seven uh, or Chimneys. Um, and but she didn't Race, come up in this one. Race asked um, Anne to marry her, but that was like 10 years ago. Um, and- okay. Can we talk about the name Anne and Agatha Christie? Janes and Anne's. She loves the name Jane and she loves the name Anne. Because look, he it proposed to previous Anne and the girl in this one was named Anne Meredith. She loves that's the name true. Jane. She loves the name Anne. Oh, that's a good point. I never thought about that. But you're right. There's another Anne. Or is it just that like there's not that many British names? Maybe I'm excited about Dr. Roberts and there's a lot of There's Dr. a character Roberts. named Ariadne. There's names. <laughs> she uses... There's names. She uses... <laughs> I had to think about it because the spelling throws me (laughs) off. But her name is Ariadne. Like, there's names. But she uses Jane and Anne over and over. I I, I just have this, like, hope that she's got two little sisters named, like, Jane and Anne or something. So she just keeps using their names or something, like, sweet like that. Because she often uses Jane and Anne. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. I never thought about that. It's true. Okay, so wait, you were saying something when I interrupted you. Oh, I got excited oh, about the name. Oh, yeah. So dark. Oh, about them all being single. Yeah, and he. I don't know if we caught his age. I thought he was younger than Mrs. Lorimer, but he didn't. He was because they kept talking about how the girl was young, hence she was called the girl. Um, but she was um, literally twenty-five. Okay, so that's right. Yeah, and so everybody else was older than her. She was definitely right. We know that than... Roberts is a well-established doctor. We don't know of how old. Mrs. Lorimer is old, as <laughs> defined by the book. And Meredith is 25, and Major Despard is old enough to be a man of the world and things, but old and young enough that when he hits on Anne and her roommate, it's not creepy. Right, right. So I'm giving him, like, if she's 25, I'm giving him 35, 40. Yeah. And then Dr. Roberts might be in his 40s as well. Yeah. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the Beatles song is about a drug dealer, so I apparently just got excited. It's not because... a real rare name, like Roberts. Yeah, yeah fair. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then Colonel Race, we know, was at least single when he proposed to Anne in the other book. Right. So Mrs. The, Oliver they're... is a Mrs., but we never hear about a husband ever, so you're sort of assuming that she's a widower. Widow. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Nobody... Battle had a wife in some book. We don't talk hear about her a lot. Right. Shaitan is single and Pro is single. So you're right. There's people don't have spouses. And so Dr. Roberts, um, yeah, is a well known doctor and knew Mrs. Lorimer from like being in the same social circles. Uh, apparently a successful doctor. And then being from the, the last... same bridge circles, so they both like to play bridge. Right. Um, although it's important because he always overbids dangerously, but then is really good good enough that he, you know, wins a lot of the time. Um, right. So, Prowrose, so because there's four sleuths who are literally there when the murder takes place, although the sleuths are playing bridge in a separate room. So, they come in to say goodnight, host is dead. And then, okay, well, y'all ain't going home because we got to figure out who killed this dude. It's a murder in a bottle. One of you guys did it. So then uh, Superintendent Battle goes into interviewing people mode, asking about who got up from the table, yada, yada. And, of course, Praro being of the psychological vantage point, he asked people about their bridge play. And he wants to, people to comment on the other people's bridge play. And so we know that Dr. Roberts tend to overcall his hand. He's kind of brash and like he's kind of a risk taker. And Meredith is a good player, but timid. Major Despard was thoughtful. Was that his thing? They kept saying calculating. Sound, sound player, whatever that sound. means. Whatever. And Mrs. Lorimer was the smartest one. She was the best player. She was very good. And like um, Paro's conclusion that. was that she was very like the smartest person at the table. But that she was very premeditative. Meaning that right. if she had done the murder, she would have thought about it ahead of time. Right. And so his theory was, since there was no like physical clues, because the way the game of bridge is played, I don't know anything. I do know there is a time when 
three people are playing and one person is what they call dummy. And I got this from the YouTube video that you play with your partner across the table from you. And when you're at this one part, two partners face each other and they can't see each other's cards. And, but the other two partners, one of them puts his cards on the table, name of the book. And then the other one um, uses both their cards and their partner cards from the table. So dummy doesn't do anything. He can't do anything. His partner's doing all the moves and hence him being dummy. So dummy can get up. Oh, you got further than I did in learning. You got further yeah. in YouTube than I did. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, but the scoring part, I tell you, it was the most confusing scoring I've ever seen in anything. But um, Well, this comes with, from the people that invented tennis. So this makes sense. <laughs> so, but dummy doesn't have to do anything during that moment. And so that's when people who are playing bridge get up, get to the bathroom, get ourselves a drink, yada, yada. And so in the game, each member of the table got up and was dummy for part of the game, you know? And so like, it, that's why there's no clues because everyone could have gotten up and everyone walked around the room and when they were dummy and people got more drinks and some people walked over by their host. Um, right. And so the host is sitting in front of the fire, kind of dozing or whatever, and not really paying attention. And so sometimes people walked over by there, either to stoke the fire or to say what's up to the host. Or maybe he wasn't dozing. Maybe he was sitting there and would have gotten up, but um, he was killed. I think they started playing around nine. Well, right. If dinner was at nine, eight, nine after eight fifteen. Did they start, did he, they started playing at 9.30 um, and then he was killed within a half an hour. And so maybe just everybody thought he was dozing. Right. So maybe fire. the whole time he was supposed to be dozing, he was actually just dead. Yeah. Because Mrs. Lorimer said that she had a conversation with him and it turned out to be true that he, she wasn't the murderer. So she did talk, talk to him. So he was awake when she walked over. Um, right. But um, anyway, so there was a chance for all four of them to walk over and stab him because they were dummy and the other three people were involved in the game paying attention. And, and he was stabbed by this stiletto, which I did not know the origin of that word as it relates to shoes, but it's a very sharp dagger, which apparently they use the term more than once would go in like butter. Right, which oh, is gross. Yeah. Um, but like basically, it was so sharp that you could, you know, easily kill someone. Like it would, it doesn't take any strength, and you know he wouldn't scream. And apparently, the room because this guy was super rich was full of lots of art, um, and so that stiletto was a piece of art that was sitting there. Now, why you would need a piece of art sitting there that is a knife that's sharp enough to stab someone but whatever but again um, he seemed like he well, he was one a collector so the room was full of a ton of shit mm -hmm. and then like he was kind of a, a macabre right kind yeah, of person right yeah so um anyway so the, uh, the miss of oh i'm gonna say misophilioma <laughs> Mephist <laughs> Mep oh shit, now you've got um, Mephistopheles. Okay, yeah. but do the adjective. 
Mephistophelian. Oh, yeah, that right? was right. But the emphasis was not on the right syllable. <laughs> Mephistophelian. Yeah, which That's one it. is it? Mephistophelian. You almost did it. Do, do what you were about to do. That was right. <laughs> Mephistophelian. Yeah, Mephistophelian. Yeah, Mephistophelian. There we go. Yeah, um, yeah, because uh, so cause he's this devil of a character. Since right. you and I are so highbrow now, we play right. bridge and say Mephistophelian <laughs> about people, <laughs> and not Mesothelium. <laughs> <laughs> that just means we've watched too much television. Daytime courtroom <laughs> dramas in the nineties or something. Right? You see Mesothelioma <laughs> commercials. <laughs> hey, we had a we had a relative guy of mesothelioma. Right, we did, Uncle Andy. So I did, but I but I remember it not from that. I remember it from the commercials. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm terrible, um, but yes. But anyways, that's the thing. He would have that kind of thing around because he was that kind of a person. I almost tried to say it off the top, but I, I, I couldn't quite do it. It's not integrated yet. It's like in my Norwegian lessons, you know, you have to like use the word in the um, uh, Duolingo like four right. times until it just comes off the top. They keep giving you the word in different contexts until it just comes. Right. But how often are we going to walk, somebody's going to walk by and go, man, that guy's really Mustafaian. Well done. So you just did it. That's number three. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, but the, the thing I really like about having like fancy Greek word root words is how smart it makes me feel. And especially <laughs> if someone else doesn't quite know and has to Google it, then like imagine, <laughs> you know, it's like I was working on this presentation at work with this person and she she had said lack and I was like we say paucity and she's like you love saying paucity and I was like well yeah because <laughs> it sounds so smart to say paucity why would we say lack when we could say paucity <laughs> <laughs> it feels so good to use the fancier word right but the reason I don't in my job is that the teenagers will be like I have no idea what the heck you're talking about so why should why should I listen but I get right. it yeah Right, both in the in my profession, there's both sides. Like I have to make sense to children and their parents, and then on the on the flip side, sound fancy to people like me who respect sounding fancy. <laughs> right, like so, yeah, yeah. I the fancier it. you sound, the more you know. Definitely, I'll pay for this. Right. We haven't described the fourth murderer. The fourth murderer is Anne Meredith. Bobby got a sandwich. Fourth murderer. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> guys, I got distracted by right by pretentiousness but, and language and yeah. Okay, fourth murderer. I'm back. Bobby got to And Meredith, who is a young twenty five year old, as we mentioned, who is not very well off, but like met- not well off for being of the class. So she was like, had a father. Who was maybe military, but when he died, she was disappointed. There was no money. So she had to go into service. But what seems to be the case is that when you're of a certain class, they don't educate you or teach you any skills because you're expected to just like chill for life. Right. So So then when your parent dies and doesn't leave you enough money to just chill, 
you don't have any skills. So she ends up going as like be somebody's nanny and then be somebody's like gardener aide and then be somebody's companion, companion because she doesn't have any skills. And like she was like, I didn't have any education or skills. Although the girl she lives with now, her roommate is a woman of the basically same class who does have the I'm money. Right? But they knew each other from school. I was like, well, what were y'all learning in school? I mean, I guess they can basically read and stuff, but they don't, I thought it was, I, I, I actually paid attention and I was like, they don't They don't focus on education for them. They have like a basic education, but they are not trained to do anything. Their the expectation right. is that they would just like live and order servants to give them stuff. Right. And she wasn't, she wasn't a nanny so much she was a companion for older ladies that no no no. remember point. the first job she was a mother's helper oh uh, for some yeah, kids that was her very first job was a mother's helper uh, and then she was a companion for and then yeah lady. she became a companion for older ladies so the second one she was basically helping this lady who liked to garden and then she was a companion for another old lady wait I think it went mother helper, the old lady she killed, and then the old lady. There was who's... there was four jobs: mother's companion, two old ladies on the book, and then the one she didn't tell the police about, where the woman died. Yeah, and she killed her. Yeah, because she because Chaitana was right. All of these people had killed someone. Right. Um, and, and in in his estimation, Dupero, they were worth collecting because they'd all you know, got away with it. Right, right. So, um, so that's the end of the, that's all the characters now. Right. It took us an hour, but we've described all the characters. (laughs) I'm sorry. And I have the, yeah. So when you have a story that that, not a lot to the plot, it's just four people and one of them walked over and stabbed them. Then, you know, they spent the rest of the book getting to know these four people and their backgrounds because they're like, well, we can't determine who we get. Seriously have the hiccups. Yeah. <laughs> we can't figure out who did it based on clues or anything like that because um, nobody knows. So we have to go back and look at the earlier murderers to find out if it's the same kind of murder. Right. So Paro knows that Shaitana was planning this like murderer's dinner party, but no one else knew that. But he shares that with the Scooby-Doo team, and right. they decide to be a Scooby-Doo team, even though Superintendent Battle is an actual like police person who's actually right. invented for Scotland Yard. But he like humors everyone and is like, cool, we can be a Scooby-Doo team about this. Right. I love the Scooby-Doo description. So yeah, so we've got this Secret Service guy author who is not used to real murder right praro and super and a retired or maybe not retired but like towards retirement no. age very respected right um, superintendent. right so they're they scuba you and then the secret service guy basically only investigates major despard because he can go and find out what other colonizers were doing because he is one Right, he's got overseas connections, and he can ask his networks about him, which he and does. He, and his response is one of the weirdest racist statements that they've done, where he keeps saying, 
he didn't commit a murder because he's a white man. Like he says that like three times. Yeah. Um, and I just kept changing the audiobook, or if my ear just didn't want to hear that. I I understood it to be like some sort of like he's a good guy. I didn't either. I'm racist enough to not hear that. Oh no, I've got some work to do there. Or they (laughs) or they edited it for the new version. Yeah, because it says yeah he couldn't have committed the the murder. He's a white man, and me living in the U.S. in 2021 like dude do you know whenever we hear about a murder we assume it's a crazy white man so you know you know no no spoiler turns out to be a white person because they're all white people right so when he's like he's a white man I'm like what listen and see if what they changed it to in the version I listened to and if it was changed or if I just you know, edited that out because I didn't want to feel that. Wow. He's a white yeah. man. He's a... See? Interesting. Yeah, it was one of the first... It was the meeting that they have, like, where they all get back together and share their... Yeah, I remember this. I felt like he was like... I felt like he... In the version I listened to, that he, he was like, he's a good guy, or he's a good man, or he's a... Man. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah. So, to use white as right, like he couldn't wow. have killed. Yeah. So anyway, but the the killing that so here's the thing is that Major Despar did did kill someone. But what happened was is that there was a guy who had fever, um, a kind of fever that you get when you're traveling in South America, and um, the story was that he died of the fever, but then other people said that he died of a gunshot. And Poirot does the funniest thing I've ever seen him do where he, because they found out that much. And then Poirot goes and visits the widow of this guy who died. And basically plays a caricature of himself where he talks about how he pulls out the business card that's like super ornate where it says Hercule Poirot, private detective in swoopy letters with glitter. Right, 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 right. And he's almost like doing an impression of uh, Shaitana, who is a, who is basically a caricature of Poirot. Right. Like very, again, and in the context of Mrs. Oliver talking about the Finn being the most Finnish and being ridiculous. Like it's, it's like there's so much meta to it. Oh, totally. He knows, like, how to turn up his foreignness for the right audience. Right, like, more accent. And then she tells a story, and then a pause developed. And then he goes, I can picture it. The winding (laughs) river, the tropical night, the hum of the insects, a strong soldierly man, the beautiful woman. Like, and it's hilarious. The scene was hilarious. Um... But then basically what happened was is that they got fever. Um, she said that she and Mr. Major Despard fell in love with each other and that they, she, um, the major and her husband were fighting and he shot him. And then Perar went to the, the major found out about it. And, um, and so he came to Perar and was like, that woman is annoying. She always made me feel embarrassed. We all got fever. 
her husband was walking towards the river. He would have drowned. I was going to shoot him in the leg so he wouldn't, he, so I could stop him because I wasn't going to reach him. And she thought I was going to shoot him because I loved her. And so she moved the gun and ended up killing him. Right. Um, and yeah, so it was an I accident. Had to, I had to literally listen to that part three times to understand how shooting him was the honorable thing. But I guess he was so like out of it with fever and far away that you couldn't yell like, hey, dude, don't go in the river. There's a river. Right. Because he was out of it with fever and he was far away that you couldn't grab him. So shooting him in the leg was the right answer. Right. But I, it, like, it was like, huh? Like, why was that the noble thing to do? Okay, fine. Like, yeah, shoot it. Because I was like, if you're out in the wilds or whatever, having someone who's shot isn't great. Right. You don't have you don't have antibiotics because it's still right. the 1930s. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't seem great to have someone who's shot in the leg. But I guess it's better than drowning right now. Right. So, yeah, but, oh, here's the white man scene. So... Um, I was uh, literally just looking to see if I could find the find. Yeah, that so so it's scene. in chapter um, eighteen. So um, he says, "I've given you the facts. You asked for them, and you're entitled to them. But I'd lay long odds against it being Despard who did the dirty work the other evening. He's a white man. Battle, and Battle says, incapable of murder. You mean? Colonel Race hesitated. Incapable of what I'd call murder. Yes." But not incapable of killing a man for what would seem to be to him good and sufficient reasons. Is that it? If so, they would be good and sufficient reasons. And battle is like, you can't have human beings judging each other and taking the law into their own hands. So battle's like, okay, so you colonizers are like, I can kill who I want to kill. Right. Um Anyway, and then later, the next page, there's a they argue about this for a little bit. Um, and then Colonel Race is like, I gotta go. I got too much to do. Um, yeah, he had lines and... I've given you my the facts you wanted, but in my opinion, Despar is not the man. I don't believe he's c- ever committed murder. Shaitan, I may have heard some garbled version of the rumor of Professor Luxburg's death, but I don't think there's more to it than that. Despard's a white man, and I don't think he's ever been a murderer. That's my opinion, and I know something of men. So he twice says he's a white man, and I just wow. kept on thinking, "Wow, dude! Like, I've if I am right now, if I'm going to be scared of any kind of person that's going to be likely to be a, mostly a murderer, it's going to be a white man." So that really doesn't sell it to that, me. Yeah, but. that's wild. And like we knew he was white before you did his character investigation, so you mean something more than white? Yeah, you mean like you mean like. And, you know, I don't know if you ever watched Scandal, but you mean like white hat and black hat. Like you mean like white hat. Like you right, mean like. But, but it's such a weird thing to say from a white guys who go and travel in places where there are not white men. Right, because like does that imply like, that all of them, all all of the people who are you're in the places, are capable of murder? Right, and all the people in England are not because there's murders in England. FYI. Right, uh, and the murderers in England. And her books are all white, so... Interesting. All right. Come with me on a journey, Portia. Uh-oh. I have to know now. I'm so curious. Okay, because I told you what chapter. They substituted good for white. He's a good wow. man, Battle. He's a good wow. man, Battle. 
I couldn't let the episode go on without us like looking into that because it's like no, I was like, I'm pretty sure I would notice if it was like he's a white man battle incapable of murder. I think that would have like then I was like I hope that like my indoctrination into American racism had not maybe not noticed that but no I just listened to it again he's a good man battle he used good he where used you red white so in okay I need to see this is a 2003 edition wow and they and had mine, changed mine was 84 yeah but they definitely <laughs> And I'm slightly relieved that I didn't miss that in my listening, that I just thought that, like, (laughs) that was fine to say. (laughs) Yeah, so they replaced, in in both instances, when you said white, the, now the narrator said he's a good, or, you know, uh, or uh, Colonel Ray said he's a good man. And then, and then just like you said, so the meaning incapable of murder and then, like you said, incapable of what I would call murder. Right. Interesting. Um, but it's fascinating that, like, that, you know, in 2003 that they had the awareness, but in 84, that was fine. Right. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that, like, when people think that people who try to erase, you know, racism and its meaning in our culture. As early as 1983, saying he's a white man, he couldn't do anything like that. <laughs> that was <Right>. fine. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, I mean, but it, but it's such an insight into her character or British character that that was a phrase. Like, I'm sure she didn't invent that, right? Right. And it, obviously he was white before they did the investigation. It wasn't <laughs> about his skin tone. Right? He was clearly white. Man. So anyway, so that was Despard's murder. But let's talk about we have no details about Mrs. Lorimer's murder. She tells Okay, so we own... know Despard's. Yeah. Mrs. Mrs. Mortimer, Mortimer, we never learn. She just says to Prairie, Yeah, I killed my husband. And then no, says nothing else at all. And he even Lord. says, You resist what most women could not resist, which is telling me why it was justified. Or even how, or, yeah, or yeah, but or but anything. but but he was basically he he pointed out to her that that most women would need to justify would need to say it was a justified murder, right? And, and she like, was like, "No, I'm good." She's like, "That's my business." And yeah, yeah it was it's interesting because she seems so grounded, right? She's like, "Yeah, yeah, I committed a murder," and yeah, so and. Yeah, so, yeah, she doesn't give any details about hers. Um, Anne Meredith's murder um, was, we mentioned she, you know, she was a nanny and then a companion. And then she was this companion for a few months to a new Okay, place. so stop. Finish your wrapper. Sorry. Before you finish that. your story, because it's like you're being subtle, but it's not subtle on the audio. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Wrapper is gone. Okay. Okay. So, right. So we know that Anne Meredith, like, was in a in service at different places, and she and as soon as Battle left, so basically, Senate Battle comes to no Superintendent Battle comes to her house, asks her for a history. She's like, "Yeah, I worked over here. I worked over there. Here's all the names and stuff." And when he leaves, 
her roommate is like, um, you left one out. She's where like, the lady sort of died man. a lot. That seems weird. And she was like, oh, it doesn't matter. I was only there for a couple months. And then she was like, oh, okay. And then the reason we as the audience of the book learn the story is because then her roommate, while they're in London, stops by the house of Mrs. Oliver and is like, hey, you're a famous authoress. Thanks for visiting us. It was awesome. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, So my friend left out the fact that she was also in service for a woman who drank hat paint in error of medicine and died. So that's why she was weird when you brought up poison. And she did that kind of behind her friend's back. And I think there was an ethics in her that was like, this is not okay that she didn't tell anybody this. So she told Mrs. Oliver. She didn't tell the police, but she told Mrs. Oliver. And then Mrs. Oliver told Battle. Right. And, and then they were able to find all the details. So again, it's interesting because while Agatha Christie was very self-depreciating about writing the character of Mrs. Oliver, like, you know, she's fat and there's apples and the whatever, and she kind of like makes fun of her own writing, like, oh, you've realized that I write the same plot over and over and I don't, you know, people don't understand the poisons are, I, I get these mistakes wrong. Like, she makes all these digs about her own writing yeah. in it, which, again, having read ahead, she does that more and more through this character, and I'm like, I'm, I almost feel bad for our previous episodes because she says what we say in our previous episodes herself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so she knows. She's got the self-awareness. Like, she, she's like, some of those are trash. And like, she literally says, like, oh, that one's absolute trash. Um, right. But anyways, but what she does do is say this young woman opened up to Miss Oliver and no one else. Right, right. And that she did sort of have the intuition and she knew how to talk to girls. And so, like, her, while she kind of beats up on herself, she also does play a pivotal role in the investigation. Right. And the friend of Anne is interesting because, of course, Mr. Shaitana could have invited her friend. The fact that he only invited Anne is weird, right? Their roommates, their friends, Mr. Shaitana knew them both. And they knew, and they were short a girl. Right. And they were short a girl. Because it's the thing. Apparently you have to have even numbers of the sexes. But he didn't invite Rhoda because she wasn't a murderer. And Rhoda has a very different character than Anne, not just because she's got some money, but she's spunky, whereas everybody kept on talking. Anne was scared and timid. Right. And then one of the things when they found out about the murder that she did, everybody was like, well, why the hell did she do it? And then Ferraro figured that out, that she, her whole life, has been poor and wanted nice things. And so her whole life, she stole. And when she was working for families that were messy and um, uh, then nobody noticed because things just disappear. Um, But when she was working for this one family for only like six weeks or something, uh, this one woman, she was... So that's me because not the second family, the first family. I'm fairly tidy in my current status for me during COVID I bought a watch 
or maybe <laughs> pre-COVID, I bought this watch and it had like it was a watch and it told the time and it had like it was like a, a swatch watch because I'm I was being retro, so it was a swatch and it had the day and the day the month and the date, right? Thank you for telling and, me what a watch does, but yes, I appreciate. Well, I'm just saying it wasn't a smart watch. It wasn't right. like didn't do didn't send me like emails. It's just like a watch that told time. Anyways, but like in my line of work, in many ways, it's very helpful to have a watch. Mm-hmm. I think I bought it before COVID, but anyways, during COVID, I lost it. How? <laughs> house way? I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything. I go to the hospital and go to my house. Where is the watch? Right? Like, I- and so. But because that's me, if it was any time but COVID, if I had had a, a maid who stole it, I'd have been like, well, I left it somewhere. Right. But if I had had a maid during COVID, I'd been like, you took that, you bitch, because I don't do anything. But it, I don't have a maid. So clearly I just lost it because I'd be losing. Like somehow, even with no place to lose things, I still lost it. But I'm saying I'm family A. Right. Because like I hard lost a watch with nowhere to lose things. Right, like with no opportunity to lose at all, still where's that watch? So I ended up buying a new one because it'd been a couple months, and I still need a watch. <laughs> and again, still COVID, no places but my home and my office. There's no places. Where can something be? There's nowhere. <laughs> I live at a friend's house. There are no friends. There are no houses. Well, we, because with the toddlers, they pick up stuff and then leave it in the most random places. That's the thing. If you have kids, if you have a dog, I have none of those things. I either have fairies <laughs> or trolls or whatever, but like I do, I have cicadas now, but I lost the watch, watch before cicadas. So I'm just saying that like I'm family A. So like if someone right. stole a brooch, I'd be like, oh, I must have, I must, I lost my brooch. Like, you know, I'm personality A who would never think that someone stole it because. Things get lost in, in with me. Yeah, yeah. But you get someone else who's very on top of things, who's very anal. Knows exactly where all their stuff is. And then you work there for as a companion and you're a thief. It's a t- You steal so, something, they're going to notice. And so apparently they noticed and we're going to turn her in or talked about, you know, something getting so in trouble. This was one thing where I really enjoyed... Again, I think in the last few books, she has done a good job of like, and I learned this recently because uh, my girlfriend watches a lot of like film analysis, like, you know, YouTubes or whatever, how exposition versus demonstration or whatever. So I feel like in the early books, she tells us that Poirot was smart and we may or may not experience that. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I feel like in this book, he has an inkling that she's steely, so he buys all these. He buys exactly nineteen pairs of ridiculously expensive silk stockings. Back of the house, they had to get go back in the back shelves to get these fancy, fancy, fancy silk stockings. Not even the regular fancy silk stockings, but the ones that were like the showgirl, the, the the you know the shop girls were like, oh we're so sorry for how much these cost. And he was like, that's fine. So he bought the most expensive stockings and bought exactly 19 pairs. Pounds. I mean, think about the exchange rate. 37 pounds is like, usually it's double. Yeah. It's for dollars. So that's 60, no, 72. Wait, 
37. Yeah. Sure. Do that math. Do it live. <laughs> do math live. Do it. I support you. <laughs> oh, Told God, you my watch Trey. doesn't do anything but tell the time and I'm not wearing it anyway. So oh, God, I'm just going to like hike you up over here. Like, yes, me. math. Go, go, go. The one person I know who listens has a degree in math and he's going to be like, I'm so disappointed <laughs> in you. Um, but yeah, so 73 or something uh, dollars. And then each. in... And then exchange rate, and may, or then uh, inflation to now times. Inflation to now times. And he bought 19 pairs. 19 pairs. So like a ridiculous amount. So yeah, so it's just like he bought these super expensive stockings and then had them over the Anne and the roommate over to like ask them questions or whatever. But then was like, oh, while you're here, I bought these stockings for like relatives I need to send christmas gifts to can you pick me out six good pairs to send i have 16 or 17 pairs over there I mean, and it was 19. really 19 pairs and they were all piled up all the skew which of course was on purpose because he's so orderly order and yeah. method that never have had that but yeah. he had it on purpose looking like he didn't even know so he leaves the room briefly and he comes back and she's picked out the six pairs she asked for like what are the good ones i should send to my relatives and he only has 17 left when she leaves. Right, because she stole two pairs. Yeah. Because she stole two pairs of these very expensive stockings. So that was his way of being like, see, she's steely. And confirming that hypothesis. And I so again, I felt like that was a time when, you know, she didn't tell us he was smart. He showed us he was smart. He showed us right. how he right. figured out her deal versus like just you know what I mean right right I also just want to say that I really appreciate the word steely as a <laughs> as an adjective she's he's very she's very steely because of course when we say somebody has steely eyes we mean eyes that look like steel but you mean someone who likes to steal <laughs> I've like never it. said steely eyes have you ever said steely eyes I have never said it I've read it though people that yeah. Who is steely? Like, does that mean a, a kind of blue? No, kind of gray. Oh, I have gray eyes. Is that a thing? Can I can I claim that? I always feel like I'm I'm always sad about my gray eyes because I feel like it's not a color unless they're supposed to be blue. So I wear a lot of blue to try to like have blue eyes because they look blue if I wear blue. But my eyes are actually gray, but I feel like that's not a color. Like it's like no, a, there's a steel. It's a lack of you, color. Uh, the steely gaze. You know, like that's okay. So if I if I put a gaze on it, then it can be a thing. Yeah, (laughs) I'm gonna start gazing. Watch me. (laughs) I'm coming to visit soon. I'm gonna gaze. You're gonna gaze. Steely gaze. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was good. I like. Because you got way more blue than I did. I did. I I yeah. No, because like, don't you? Aren't your your eyes are legit blue, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. My my eyes are only blue if I wear blue. If I don't, if I wear black, which I mostly do because I live in DC, my eyes are gray. Oh wow! See, okay. Well then, yeah, you should have a steely gaze. <laughs> but when we say that Anne is steely, we mean that she steals. It has a tendency to take things. I I yeah. feel like yes. I our grammar has slid into such that anything can become an adjective. Right. Oh, that doesn't bother me as such as some some other English grammar mistakes. So making that an adjective, I make sense. I like it. She was steely. 
I mean, in the same way that you and I do, like, we, we, we make things into adjectives and we make things into verb, like catch me if you canning. Right. right. <laughs> Just right. putting an ING on the end of anything. Now right. It's a verb. Now it's a verb. So, and in okay. some ways, when we started doing this podcast and I would like do those grammatical leaps, I kind of in some ways did it to see if it would piss you off. But you just went with it. Because <laughs> I feel like you're <laughs> such a stickler to grammar that like when I do things like that that are clearly not in the rules of basic English, that I feel like you're going to like scold see, me. It's interesting. No. In some ways, I'm sort of seeking scold. <laughs> it's, an, it's an auditory thing for me. Like... If someone says something that's incorrect grammar and it's perfectly, there is a easy to do the correct grammar, it bothers my ear. Like it just, it's like nails on a chalkboard kind of feeling when I hear incorrect. But when someone makes up a brand new word, because steely is much more efficient than saying she's a girl who likes to steal. You know what I mean? Steely is much more efficient. So I like that because it's, you know, the incorrect grammar part of it doesn't bother me because it's. You it's, clearly know that I know that that's not a word. Right. But they, I feel like the when, when especially when we say catch me if you're kidding, you know, and I know that these are not words. Right. right. <laughs> like the, the, the irony and the leaps in English grammar are part of what makes it fun. But when someone like my husband says that we did sing something on accident instead of by accident, that drives me crazy because you don't do things, you do things on purpose or you do them okay. by accident. Well, what I will say, the on accident versus by accident, which I totally agree with you, you're 100% correct. And is that regional? Because again, like, so now I'm learning Norwegian and like when you learn adverbs in another language or prepositions, excuse me, when you learn prepositions in another language, you're like, huh, you do that to that or with that or underneath that. Right. Right. And so like when doing that, something like by or on, it's, it's arbitrary. It's just like preposition before that descriptor. And so he's not wrong. It's probably regional. Maybe. Because there's no like intrinsic meaning in the word on or by that makes it incorrect. It's just what you're used to hearing. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Okay. So here's what I have. Okay. We've gone way off of sandwiches now, but we'll just go here for now. So what I have is on the East Coast. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) In a stuff box. (laughs) Yeah. So on the East Coast, you'll hear, hear, hear people say, window seal yeah it's on the window seal and i'm like no it's on the window sill (laughs) the window seal is like around the window to keep the wind out yeah but the part where you can put your glass is the sill yeah window sill and that's one that grates on me even though it's probably a regional thing where like seal and sill have become one word Right. But when someone says, I placed my glass on the window seal, I say, no, no, you didn't. (laughs) It was the sill. But that's when that hurts me. So I understand being hurt by regional dialect. There's another one that teachers do, other teachers do, where they say compare and contrast. 
And that drives me crazy because to compare something is to say what is the same and what is different. All you need to do is compare. That's all you need to do because when you are comparing, you're saying what is the same and what is dif and different. And so when you <laughs> comparing and contrasting, you're saying, say what's the same and different and also say what's different. And why can't we I just- really enjoying this conversation because I have always, I think there was a moment in third or fourth grade for me where I had been like working on my code switching and to the audience who doesn't know, like Portia and I attended schools that were majority black American and then lived in a neighborhood in a household that was white American. And so I had experiences where I would speak as I was speaking at school to you and mom and be like desolated with the grammar correction. <laughs> and I'd be like, and then, and there was a part of me that was right, right? Like I was code right. switching. The language I was speaking was not incorrect. It was the language that people speak right. that is black English vernacular. It's not an incorrect way to speak. But as a white girl in a white household, it was incorrect, right? So, like, I did need to learn to code switch because that's not, you know what I mean? Like, also, right. you're right. And lots of layers to all of that. But I, I have this militancy against you and your grammar to be like, you know, write book mall, speak new Norse. Like, I, I remember <laughs> trying to an analogize to mom about the different Norwegian dialects and how I wasn't wrong when I spoke with the kids at school. Right. And try to like, I remember trying to like, be like, it's like the Norwegians. It's fine. You get it. Um, but anyways, but hearing you say these things, I'm like, Oh my God, we have so much in common. Cause I have these opinions about grammar as well. <laughs> and you're not the, you're not the, I don't want to say grammar Nazi because it's not fun to make Nazi comparisons when it's not Nazi no. times. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but and, like, and, and and this this frustration is with fellow teachers because I have seen so many fellow teachers do this, and it is it's just a weird little moment where I'm just like. But I I could see why to saying that to students right. emphasizes to them. I want you to find what's the same and what's different. Yeah, like even if the definition of compare is to find similarities and, and differences, they might not hear that. True. So by saying compare and contrast, it's emphasizing I want you to find both what's the same and what's different. Like I can I can see the argument for it, even if it's not wrong, it might be redundant. Right. And that's when because I think redundancy annoys me uh, as well. Um and so like null and void is a legal phrase. And it's a really dumb legal phrase because they talk about <laughs> hey that part of the law is null and void no no, no. it's null or void because they mean the same thing you don't have to say null and void but somebody at some point were like no 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 it's so not a thing it's both null and void and now every time in legal jargon they say that's null and void <laughs> right always... oh that's so interesting i never th i never think about that I just think and so that's what you yeah. say. And so, yeah, legal that got set up teachers, everybody says compare and contrast. And so me, I'm like, come on, people, we could say this so much quicker. <laughs> now I'm trying to remember the fence one that pisses me off. It's like, 
it put me on defense. And there's something that people do around the word fence, like defense or defensive, or there's something that people do that's completely wrong grammatically. <laughs> but usually when they say it, they're in an emotional state, and it's not appropriate for me to say. <laughs> Is that what you but your grammar, about? though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting thing, because I think I didn't do as much code switching because I felt like whenever I tried to code switch at school, I felt like I was faking it. See, and... you had maybe more, you know, self-awareness because I have this like super strong memory of getting into the van, minivan, <laughs> Dodge Caravan minivan after basketball practice. Yes, I played in the third grade. I was good enough to get a participation trophy <laughs> i made a basket one time um so i remember getting it thank you thank you very much um i remember getting into the van after practice and you and mom were in there and i was telling a story i was just telling a story about what happened with me and my friends i'm like whatever happened i was just like in third grade excited storytelling storytelling mode and you and mom like had this thing where you paused and looked at each other and we're like, whoa. And I was like, I'm telling a story. And you were like, and I'm pretty sure because mom is such a, you know, good, self-aware white person. She was like, you're speaking in such a strong African-American vernacular. I'm not sure what you're saying. <laughs> I feel like she used those terms because she's so good. She might have, yeah. And I was like, but I, it's like such a strong memory because I remember being like, I'm just talking. I'm just telling the story. So I didn't have the self-awareness that you had. To like see myself performing it like I had to learn this is not appropriate at home because I was so into it I didn't realize I was doing it oh see, and like I, yeah and I felt like I wasn't appropriate at school because the people would look at me and go I can tell that you're trying to copy us and you're not doing it right so don't even try interesting Right. Yeah. Interesting. And, and like, yeah, yeah, maybe you just were more self-aware or. And so I remember at that point being like, huh. Yeah, no. And I think I remember this exact moment, too. I think do you I remember, remember the moment, too? too? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I do. I didn't remember that it was after basketball practice, but I remember that it was in the car for some reason. But do you, um, what do you what, what is your side of it? Oh, just that, like, I remember thinking, whoa, because. I did a fair amount of code switching, I think. Right, because you're was... five years older. So at this point, you know what these things are. Like, we didn't have the term code switch back then. But right. you knew what I was right, doing. But I, but I think that I just, yeah, I, I was really conscious of trying to not. I, I you were probably would... horrified, like, as I would be right now, if I saw a little white girl talking like that. I'd be like, oh, God, don't do that. That's not yours. Right, right. Because I think, yeah, I think it was like I can see, and again, like as like an adult me, I can see why that would be horrifying from the outside. Like you, you can't talk like that. Well, yeah, or because it seems, are you? Is it now? Again, we're putting these newer terms on it: cultural appropriation, or um, is it like when some of the star pop stars, white pop stars, you know? Right, and again, like yeah, that's why it's cringy. Right. But here it's, I am in third grade, right, not, not 
Right. You're, but again, you're, and, and maybe it eight. was performance for my friends. Or, right. you know what I mean? Like, you, you do what your friends do, and you don't realize privilege and right, culture right. and appropriation and all those things at that age. And so the question is when I was eight, did I do it? And then, I mean, and maybe it happened when you were younger, but you didn't have you. <laughs> right. To say, yeah, don't do that. Um, you didn't have older yeah. sister to be like, um, honey, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Because, yeah. Where did Bobby get a sandwich? I'm completely <laughs> lost now. <laughs> well, okay. So we talked about the previous murders. Yeah, we have to decide whether we're going to keep that entire conversation in there because it get yeah. Got it's it. a lot, right? We might have to cut all of that because, we might have to. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, but, Wait, what? What? What makes you want to cut it? Because I'm usually the cutter, and I'm not. I'm happy to cut it, but what? Like, what comes up for you that feels cringy that you want to cut it? Well, no, 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 more just because like people are like, I want to talk about Agatha Christie, and this started at grammar, went deep into grammar things, and then went deep into is it appropriate for white kids who go to black schools to. Um, speak code switch um and not seem like they're uh, mocking the people that they're hanging out with you know like or you know that i think that was one of the things that stuck in my head is if i'm doing it like them am i mocking people and then people are going to be like you're not doing it right you're just making fun of us mm. um, so i think that's you know I, I decided that if I was going to code switch, I was going to try to be as authentic as I possibly could. Um, so I studied because I wanted to give it the seriousness that it did. And so the only time I did do it was often using dance or using stuff that I had studied a lot. And then I would code switch. But anyway, um, but like that is a very like, deep conversation about but it's also a conversation from the position and you and i have such a rare experience about that like right very few white people have been in majority black spaces enough that you might just take on like without doing it for over culture reasons like just doing it because you're the only white person in the room and and that's just how everyone's talking and from a very young age so that it right it is because it, because it's true. I can switch. I can code switch, but I don't do it very often because I think if I were to do it, say with my black students, they'd be like, "You're just poser. You're a poser." Right. Which fascinating. I'm always fascinated to hear they they use poser in Agatha Christie books. <laughs> she uses poser, and I'm always but, like, okay, so cramping my style and poser are from back then. <laughs> Let's leave that part. Now we have to keep this in. Okay. Yeah, but you're right. But when she does it, she p- spells it French, doesn't she? Right. Okay. Because the the reader says poser. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes from the French. Maybe it does. But Bobby got a sandwich. Where did he get a sandwich from? I'm lost. Okay. So we went over the murders done by Despard, the um, old murderer. And Anne Meredith. So we still have to talk about Dr. Roberts. So Dr. Roberts' old murder was he slept with a patient? No, no, no. No, no, no. 
before you get to that, talk about how Battle gets that information because Battle is shown like what's actually fascinating about this book is that I think she gives she gives each detective an equal weight in the work. So Except like for Race. Race was short. Well, right, but but he did the work he had to do for the one right. thing, right? Right. We got that without him. And he didn't have time for their nonsense. Right. But right. like Battle was very nuanced in the way that he interviewed the doctor's secretary. So go. Right. So Battle goes to the doctor and like searches and then interviews his, searches his office and then interviews the secretary and um, starts saying, I've heard rumors and just says, and she's like, about what? And he's like, I've heard rumors about him and a patient. Well, and then like, he just tries to say like, I don't believe this, but one of the other suspects is trying to implicate him something bad about a doctor and a patient and he has no idea what he's searching for he's just being as odd as possible like you know sometimes a patient dies and leaves you a legacy what's wrong with that and he basically is trying to get on the secretary's good side so he's like i know none of this is true but women women be hinting (laughs) right yeah and then the secretary mentions the craddock's and then he's like, oh, when was that? Oh, I think I heard about that like seven years ago. And she was like, no, 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 more like eight or like totally like. And he BS is stabbing around trying to get her to like open up to him. And then after he gets the name, he gets this one guy who works for him, uh, who apparently is incredibly cute. Oh, right. oh my god it's the best it's like it's like this you know one of the officers who just knows how to like flirt with people right he's incredibly cute and he goes and basically on a date with a girl who used to be the uh, maid for the Craddocks and they have a whole conversation where um, she's like oh my god and yeah the doctor came and then like the mister was arguing with him and he was like right in this this attractive you know police officer who's undercover is also good at this too because he's like oh i used to work for one like he knew how to like right and then they mentioned that she was like oh this was exciting i wasn't gonna miss it so i went over and pretended to clean the stairs so i could listen to the whole thing and then the police officer is like, yeah, and that's why I'm not interviewing you as a police officer. I'm taking you out of the date. I, I never listen at doors. Right. And But yeah, so apparently he might have slept with the patient. I couldn't quite figure out, but it was like, he was improper, which I'm It wasn't he, sure. It, it, it could have literally been that she just had feelings for him, or it could right. have been that something happened between them. We don't know that. Well, I think there was something between them because otherwise he wouldn't have needed to do murders to cover it up. If it was just that she had a crush, then right. he would have been That's like, a good point. That's a good point. But anyway, so the the husband was like, I'm going to, you know, uh, strike you off the medical registry. And he's like, um, you know, calm down, dude. I'm going to leave. First, I have to go wash my hands, which is such a funny thing detail for her to mention. Right. But, and then but he was then, like whistling while he washed his hands. Right. And then like two days later, the guy dies of anthrax poisoning that was found on his razor. Dun, dun, dun. Because he put anthrax on his razor. Um, but apparently at the time, there was a whole thing of like, 
anthrax being in shaving brushes that came from Japan, anti-Asian sentiment. Right. So they just wrapped it all up in like, oh, all these shaving brushes have anthrax because they're from Japan. Right. So they didn't question where the anthrax came from. Right. And then the woman uh, was going to go travel to Egypt after her husband died. And then she went and got her typhoid inoculation from the doctor. And then she died of a blood disease when she was in Egypt. A native, air quotes, blood disease. disease. I mean, you only get in Egypt while she was there. But then they're like, you know, wait a minute. If he got, he gave her the inoculation, he might have just put that in the inoculation. Right. Um, Hashtag vaccines are still safe. He was just a bad doctor. Um, Right. He was a murderer. So, um, but. uh, (laughs) It's true. Don't blame, don't blame Pfizer for that one. Yeah. So blame Pfizer for not sending um, any uh, holding onto their patents and not sending right. enough doses around yeah. the Pat- world. Patent hoarding is fair, but like they didn't, they don't do anthrax that we know. Um, of right now. Yeah, or or quote native blood diseases. Yeah. So um, anyway, <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. So that's what were his murders were like this anthrax shaving and so. Uh, and then probably the woman. They don't know for sure about the woman, but they they know the guy. Um, so those were the murders that they committed before. Um, and so now they have to see which one of these guys would have the balls to walk over. And I'm using right. And then here's where the book gets kind of wild. Right. It's late, we, and Bobby keeps getting a sandwich. Okay. So <laughs> the point is, we what is t- the point? We've talked about their past murders and whether or not the whole point of trying to study their past murder is this current murder. Um, who would have the balls to go and walk in the middle of a room where everybody's there and go stab somebody? I mean, apparently there was a furniture in the way or something. Right. Um, and so, and how their characters were like and whether they would do them. So, Right, because the whole deal with Praro was about the psychology. Like, who would do it? Who is, you know, he's interviewing the people to be like, what are they like as bridge players? So, who's the risk taker? Who does this? Someone might kill because they panic. Someone might kill because they're bold and brash. So, he's trying to compare their bridge playing to their. Right. And so, like, Mrs. Lorimer is only capable of doing she's very very smart but she plans ahead and so she would never do something unless she planned it ahead right um and does something out of fear and desperation and so she might have done it um but the one murder that she did do was she switched two bottles that looked alike and that's how the person she worked for got killed and so it was like it could have been caught. It was kind of they called it a hopeful murder. Um, and then Despard, of course, shot somebody by accident, kind of. Um, and so the only person, and using that psychology, they talked about how Dr. Roberts' murder were kind of public because he just basically went into the bathroom, put something. I still thought that seemed it's different from stabbing somebody in a room. Um, so I thought that psychology was a little bit flawed, but the idea right. that 
he was the biggest bidder. He always overbids in in bridge. Not that I understand bridge, but that he well, we were told that he is brash, takes lots of risks, and that he bid this grand slam, but he bid it in his partner's suit, so they had to play, and he was dummy. So everybody's paying attention to this grand slam doubled, whatever the hell that means. Um, and Right, apparently you can manipulate that. It's not just based on the cards that are out. Right, and so because there was a grand slam doubled, and then he was dummy, it makes the most sense that he would have done it. Plus, he's also a guy who takes risks. But um, we don't know that till the last minute because in true Agatha Christie style, it's so well done. Like when Pravo interviews Mrs. Lordimer, he says, because she's kind of like stank to him, like, I'll talk to you. And she's, he's like, that's fine. I just want to talk about Bridge. So she listens to him. And then he leaves his card and is like, I won't come again unless you call for me. And she's like, why would I call for you? And she's like, you might. So she, she, she does. Yeah. So then after, you know, interviews, other things pass. And then at some point she does call for him and she comes and she says to him, I did it. And he's a little confused and he's asking her questions and he's like, okay, so did you premeditate it? And she's like, no, I thought of it that night because he was about to out me about being murdered or whatever. And, and Prara was like, I don't believe you. I almost believed you, but if you didn't premeditate this, if you thought of it that night, I don't believe you. You would have only done a premeditated murder. If you're saying this was thought of it on the spur of the moment, I don't believe you. You're lying. And so then he figures out, he says, but why do you think Anne Meredith did it? And then she's like, well, I saw her. And right, then, but Prower also figures out with his deduction that only did she not do it, even though she's confessing that she's doing it to protect Anne Meredith. Right, right. Because and she then she's like, I never, saw her. She had tea with Anne, and Anne's twenty five, and she's in her late sixties, and she's like, my life is. And over she has a cancer. <laughs> right, and she got yeah, she got diagnosed. So she's with she's older, and she has advanced cancer. So she's like. This girl did it, but I want to protect her because... Right. My life is over and hers is just beginning. And so he's like, but... And then but she's he like... Her, but then he's like, why do you think Anne Meredith did it? And she's like, because I saw her do it. But what she saw was Anne's face um, looking guilty as she was leaning over oh, towards... As the reader, okay, Mrs. Lordman did it because she said it. No, wait, Anne Meredith did it. Which you're already thinking because she's been real creepy in those conversations with her roommate. Right. And so then, as we're thinking this, Anne Meredith realizes that her roommate is the only one that knows about that sketchy death that happened before. Right. With the old lady who drank the hat paint by mistake. And she's like, doesn't, you can see all these weird, creepy conversations where she's where like, she's you're like, the only you... one that knows that. Right, right. And she's and then... like, you haven't told anybody, have you? You're the only one who knows that. Let's go in a canoe. And also because Major Despard had visited Anne um, earlier and said, hey, you got to get a solicitor because, you know, we're under investigation and I'm the kind of guy who always gets prepared and you should get prepared and you're young. And then he was like, ooh, Anne, you have a friend who's also hot. I thought you were hot. And but then her friend was much more suited to his personality. She's bold. She's 
not fearful like adventurous yeah adventurous and so but he's been giving both of them attention but Anne is like right and like as a a bit creeped out because he's definitely significantly older than both of them and I'm just like dude stop it but I don't think I'm supposed to be creeped out it's just modern me being creeped out yeah and I don't yeah we don't know how much older but yeah whatever and they're literally 25 but sure but anyway, um, so Anne also was getting creepy told her roommate because of her roommate because he she thinks the guy likes her. Also, Slash, you're the only one that knows about the time I killed that person. Let's go in a canoe, friend. Right, right. And, and you're like, oh, uh, don't go in the canoe, friend. Yeah, and then she tries to kill her. And then Rager Despard is arriving at the exact moment. And it turns out he does like the friend better because he saves the friend. This is the wild moment in the book because you're like, okay, Anne is the murderer. And they're out on the, they're out in the canoe or whatever kind of boat. And then... And neither of them know how to swim. So she tries to kill her friend by pushing her into the water, but they both fall in. The boat... She's terrible then, murderer. I mean, the water, but neither can swim, which seems like real risky before life jackets and y'all can't swim, but you like to go in boats, but sure. And you're so, trying to kill your friend, but you can't swim either. Like what was your plan? So they're both just like out there flailing and, and maybe Bar's coming along. So he goes and saves the friend Rhoda. Yeah. Not the murderer. And then, but also because Praro had just figured everything out, he and Battle are coming along, and so right. they watch all of this, and then they and everybody they try to save Anne, but it's too late. So Anne dies, right? After to kill her roommate slash friend, and we forgot to mention that Mrs. Lorimer is dead because she, in quote, committed suicide the day after she talked to Praro, right? And Mrs. Nor- Lorimer kills herself and then Anne tries to kill the person so as a reader you're like this is Mrs. Lorimer no it's Anne she's killing her roommate and she did all the things and then and then we have this scene that has Rhoda Major Despard, Mrs. Oliver Battle, Proro, and Dr. Roberts and so we have this whole scene talking about because at first we thought it was Mrs. Lorimer confessed and she sent confession slash suicide letters to the other C- three saying I'm so sorry to have caused you trouble and Dr. Roberts rushes to her to save her that was the story but then um, they're like wait a minute she couldn't have written those letters because they weren't in the post when Praro was leaving so somebody else wrote the letters so it must have been Anne so then you're like oh my gosh it's Anne and then Anne tried to kill her friend and Anne and died. we know that Anne visited Mrs. Lordimer after Praro did. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, like, oh my gosh, it's Anne. So then we're like, okay, and Anne dies. So then we're having the denouement, and then pretty quick, you know, sometimes I complain that Praro spent a half an hour or an hour talking about all the process, how he got there. And this one, they all get in the room, and he's like, yeah, Dr. Roberts, it was you. Like, he, no time at all. Like, there's none yeah. of the, his, you know. He pulled the band-aid off real fast that time. Yeah, which I appreciate it. And then Dr. Roberts is like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're the only one who had the psychology who could have done it. Um, And what you did was, and if you had just left well enough alone and not done anything else after Shaitana, we probably would have never caught you. 
But no, you had to go and kill Mrs. Lorimer. And, and there was a window cleaner who saw you. And so then they have a guy come in and said, yeah, this morning I was cleaning the windows and I saw this guy stick a needle into her arm. And he's like, it was a something to save her. And they're like, yeah, no, it was a horrible drug that, you know. Um, and once and we knew to check for it, we checked for it and it was in there and you did it. And then he confesses and they're like, yeah, we'll arrest you for that. And also Mrs. Craddock and Mr. Craddock and maybe Mrs. Craddock. And he was like, oh, Shaitana must have told you before I killed him. Da, da, da. And he confesses and then he gets taken out. And then it turns out the window cleaner wasn't really a window cleaner for our hired guy. It was all an actor. They yeah. didn't have any proof. So Praro needed to have his murderer moment to get yeah. him to confess because he didn't have any proof. Right. So um, I, this was an interesting one because um, unlike say the ABC murders or like all the stuff where there's a lot of action, there's not a lot of action until the very end. But um, I wish that the previous murder of Dr. Roberts I didn't when they kept on saying it was psychologically the same I'm like no it's not but <laughs> going and putting anthrax on a shaving uh, on a razor is different from stabbing somebody in the chest it like stabbing somebody in the chest is a like you have to be like I am killing you to your face both right. of his other pe- previous murders are like, I'm doing a thing so that you'll get sick and die in a while. Um, but yeah, stab- you're right. And so I had a little bit of trouble with the whole, like... Uh, it's the same psychology thing? It's the same co- psychology. But they did do a good job of selling that he was a guy who liked to take risks. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, so... I'm trying to think about, because we always forget where this goes on the Porsche scale. Hey, Porsche scale. We never remember. Thank you for remembering. Um, but, because it's, it's first of all, it feels like Agatha's greatest hits. I put that as one of the themes. Like, <laughs> they're like, race from this one, and battle from these two, and Oliver from this one, and Poirot all together in the same place. What happens? And then, and then Miss Oliver playing herself. Right. And so it did feel like a clip show or something, you know, like it didn't <laughs> feel like an Agatha Christie version of a clip show. <laughs> I didn't but, think about it like that. But um, because especially since the Major Despard were like, oh, yeah, we know that character. We've read that character many times already. Um, That's funny. But uh, anyway, so. But it's not, so it's kind of in the middle for me. I have reread it for pr- pleasures, um, not as much as others, but definitely more. You know, so it's kind of in the middle. I feel like this is like a solid six, you know? Like, okay, okay. Um, where, you know, it's the plot is kind of interesting. Um, but also. I like the fact that she's able to keep us up in the air about the murderer until the very end. Right. Which you're yeah, like yeah. Mrs. Lorimer and then this and then do we do we believe about the whole shooting thing and, and then yeah. Right. And then at the very end you're just like, oh 
it wasn't Anne Meredith, but Meredith Anne Meredith was Killy and did try to kill her roommate. Yeah, Steely, which and is why Killy. when we related back to Mrs. Oliver's prediction at the beginning, it was the doctor or maybe the girl because they were the two whose characters were iffy. Were the, were the most killy. Yeah, totally. Whereas Mrs. Lordimer probably had... I feel like I left the book thinking Mrs. Lordimer had a good reason to kill her husband and she didn't keep killing. Right. She was like, I was done. I killed him a long time ago. And um, there are t- there are reasons that women have a good reason to kill a husband. I'm just saying. Right. Especially there are things. when you have no other options. Because right. presumably she probably killed around the turn of the century. So, yeah. Right. Uh, and then I didn't really buy the reason around the major disbar thing, but sure. Right. Apparently like, he's a good man or a nor white man. Oh, God. Yeah, that's so weird. Yeah. That's so wild. I know. Isn't it wild? But also, like, they're all white. So they're using right. white in contrast to what? Yeah, no wonder you people? noticed that, because it's not even like there was, like, a this person and that person, you know, like... Yeah, they're, they're all, all white. white. So why? Yeah, it's so weird. But he means white, like super pure. But like, yeah, it's so weird. So mm. anyway, oof, layers of white supremacy there. So many layers of white supremacy because he's like more white than the other white people because he's traveled in places with non-white people. So lot, lot, lots of lot, yeah, lots of yeah. process there. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so what do you think? What do I think of what? The book? Yeah. I think it's really good. Like <laughs> No, whether book goes to No, I mean it's not there's no Manda scale. We're not supposed to ask me that. Like what? No, but usually me. you talk about like you really, really love Parker Pyman. Um Okay. I I think it was I like Praro. I think he Praroed well. There's t- there's books where Praro gets on my last nerve, and this one he didn't do it mostly because there was no Hastings, and he was very respectful to everyone else. That's true. He wasn't mean to Mrs. Oliver at all. He he was not disrespectful to anyone, and even like when he called out Mrs. Oliver for one of the plots of her books being the same, she's like, "Oh my God, you noticed that?" And she like admired the fact that he noticed that and was like, "They're all the same. It's all the same drivel," and like right. so. There wasn't tension between him and her. Like he was smarter than her. He was. She was like, "Thank God you noticed that we can have our honest conversation about this." Right. Oh, by the so way, I like Praro. Random. I like. Oh, go keep ahead. going. I was just gonna say, random side note. There's one moment where Superintendent Battle says to Mrs. Oliver, "Hey, I just wanted to give you a tip because I know you like to be accurate <laughs> so and how good. you portray policemen." And she's like, "No, I don't give a shit about how accurate I am. If there is a sergeant instead of a whatever, it doesn't really matter. If it's this kind of gun instead of that kind of gun, I don't really care. So you can tell me, but yeah, I'm just gonna write what I'm gonna write." And it was awesome where she's like, and it was I could tell that it was Agatha Christie saying, "Stop correcting me in my books." I, I mean, there were so many points where she was like, people from Finland want to write, meaning that people from Belgium really want, want to write her. And where, like, police people want to correct her on this and that and this and that. And she's like, my right, my readers like this and they like that. They don't know anything about Finland. 
and police like, procedure like doesn't really matter People and she's care. like it's yeah but I, it was such it was like literally like and that was funny because it was in some ways like shots fired towards the audience like yeah leave me like, alone like off. you know like you could you could you could hear it in 2021 language like stop the stop dms t- stop tweeting me i know i don't care don't at me don't about at me. this yeah <laughs> she did so many of those and like and they, including the self-owned were like that one i was just talking about where praro was like you know the plot of this one was just like the plot of that one she was like oh you caught that yeah the plot of all of my books is the same but no one notices <laughs> right so she's and- like both like fires back at the people who want to criticize her and self-owns to say like yeah it's all the same drivel yeah stop thinking it's more than that right it's just drivel but anyway <laughs> you were starting to say i like and then i cut you off okay that. so i like praro in it i think the way he did like the stocking experiment and his like little conversational thing about bridge and using the the psychology of bridge to solve the murder I like that each sleuth had a role. Like it felt like the Scooby Doo of it all worked. Mm-hmm. And so, Better like, than, in, uh... in that way, it sort of like Tommy and Tuppence in the way that, like, I feel like they needed each of them in order to get the piece. Right. As opposed to the Scooby Doo that happened during the ABC murders, which didn't really make much right, sense. Right. That was like a fake Scooby Doo because it was led by the murderer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this one, like, it felt like. Even Prowell wouldn't have got there without everybody's piece of the puzzle. Right. And so, I don't know, the kumbaya in me liked all of that. I liked all of the humorous writing around Mrs. Oliver, where it's clearly like Agatha writing about herself. So I like this in a lot of ways. Like, I think, and then I did like the moment it was like, Mrs. Oliver, it's Aunt Meredith. Oh no, it's the doctor. Like, but Anne Meredith is also a killer, and like she's also the worst. And then the major dating that's the friend thing, like I didn't love that, but it was fine. Yeah, I just that's, that's probably a combination was... of like being uncomfortable with like big age gap relationships and just regular heterophobia for me. So like that, you know, that's not her fault. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. um, but I, I, I think it's a really good one. I really, I like. I think if I was to tell someone you would like Agatha, like if if, if someone had never read Agatha Christie, I would say start with this one. Oh, interesting. Because I think it has the ingredients. Well, it's got right. the humor. It's got the and it, psychology. And it's, it's got the praro. It's got. And it's all of the elements the that like would be like why I like her as a writer. And it's a murder in the bottle. And it's a murder in a bottle. You gotta yeah. love me the right way, you know? Okay. <laughs> 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 Is there another term for that that we're dismissing? I I don't know. And you know, our many fans have not been telling us. And by many <laughs> fans, I mean, you know dozens um hey we've got we've got dozens of dozens now but um yeah so yeah i don't know what else to call it but i like that murder in a bottle uh phrase also because yeah the genie in the bottle song so 
And now, especially because you said the next line. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, you appreciated the graphic that I did for the one episode. Right. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that. Sexy Paro. <laughs> Paro Aguilera. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I, it's funny to think about that this actually had a pretty simple plot and a pretty simple thing, and we managed to talk for a really long time about it. But we spent an hour before we even told you who the people were. So Right, and I'm going to have to edit out half of that because we don't even know how to handle <laughs> any of that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting conversation, but it's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. All right, well, I... I think so the next have... time we record, we'll probably be in person. What's the next book? Dumb Witness. Is it Dumb Witness? Yay, that's the one with the dog. Well, there's a Murder in the Muse is from 37 and Dumb Witness is from 37. So I suppose we could choose which a collection. Dumb Witness, of... Dumb Witness, Dumb okay. Witness, Dumb okay. Witness, Dumb Witness. I'm excited. It's one where like... There's Hastings there, and there's a dog. It's very exciting. Yeah, I can't... I'm having trouble remembering it, so I must not reread it, so I must not have liked it very much, or something. Or maybe I just don't have a copy of it, or lost a copy of it, so... But, um... Anyway, I'm... Yeah. I'm curious because I'll need to. I'll need that one. I have no memories of, so I'll be the new. I'll. It'll be a new story to me. So, um, but anyway, um, so yeah, Dumb Witness, nineteen thirty-seven, will be our next one, and, and it'll be in person because we're having another special guest appearance by Aunt Amanda. All, All right. right. Well, let's get some sleep, and yeah. um, I will see you soon. All right. Bye bye. Thank you.